Zillow is a great resource for buying a home, but Jeff and John Tanner discuss that there is a better way to determine the success of a school beyond the letter grade sometimes assigned to them. As Jeff talks with John, you will see that the concept of accountability is not the issue, but rather what schools are accountable to and how success is measured. Prepare yourself for a discussion that most educators will be able to relate to. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? Leaders, educators, I'm Jeff Rose, and I bring to you today another leader chat. And you may have noticed over the last few leader chats, we are intentionally trying to make a shift. We know that for the last number of years at this point in time, our leaders, our educational leaders are triaging constant challenges that are actually um, so severe and so strong, it often is hijacking their focus or at least their initial why to becoming an educator in the first place, which is about how they serve and support students and communities and actually impact lives, the trajectory of lives uh, for kids. And the dilemma is our job is to provide content that's relevant to them at the time, but it's also important that we start to push forward and we start thinking forward and look beyond just trying to stay afloat, actually looking to the horizon and thinking about how do we regain some of the focus on students and teaching and learning as best we can. And so we have had some guests recently that are truly about teaching and learning and infrastructure to support um, the best system possible, the best schools possible, and today is definitely no different. Um, today's topic is, um, you'll know why this is really important, because we're going to be talking about educational accountability, and we're going to be bringing in um, a really impressive guest. Now, I'll describe to you how I came to know this guest, but we're going to be introducing to you here in a moment John Tanner. Now, John Tanner has spent, first off, he's the author of The Accountability Mindset, a blueprint for worthwhile educational accountability. John Tanner has spent well over a decade researching and exploring what a meaningful educational accountability could look like. His findings are profound and simple. Effective organizations of all types follow the same underlying formula when it comes to their organizational accountabilities, which is not necessarily, which is not necessarily the accountability schools are currently using, which is exactly what I want to talk to John today. So if we could welcome John, I, I really uh, appreciate you being here. And I'll tell the audience really quickly, um, we have a mutual friend. Um, his name is Jesse Lieb, and Jesse um, really kind of leads Rocket PD, and he knows what the leader chat is. He's a friend of mine, and he follows us, and he recently called and engaged with me and said, I have somebody you have to talk to. You have to talk to this guy, John Tanner, and let me tell you why. And he began sending me um, links, sending me uh, some of your perspective. I have your, now your, your book on my shelf and so forth. Thanks to Jesse, he's introduced us. We've had the chance to talk and get to know each other a little bit, and I've been excited for this conversation. So thanks so much, John. And what did I miss in your bio? Fill us in a little bit. How have you been? And... Um, how is it that I somehow persuaded you to come talk to us today? I, all good questions. Uh, I, I think the only thing that you missed is that 
this accountability piece is, has been a part of my career since the beginning. Uh, I became a testing person and uh, was state test director and ran a number of organizations uh, relative to testing because I was so interested, uh, not so much in testing, but in accountability. And I think that sort of helped to color things because uh, my issue was always accountability with testing being secondary. And that's very different than most people who go into testing, where testing is the primary and accountability tends to be secondary. So I think that's really helped color a lot of the different things that um, that I've been able to do over the years. So the when you say over the years, maybe maybe fill us in to just just the last couple of years, which have obviously been very very different. So how has how has that shaped some of your perspective or some of your work? And um, I, I have to assume it has. Yeah, no, in in, in a big way. So uh, if you want to think about accountability or or big families of accountability, there are really only two. One of them it, we use to prevent oh, coal mines and industrial polluters from uh, doing really dumb things to the planet. Uh, and the other accountability is one that happens inside of organizations that they use to uh, become as great as they possibly can. Th that latter accountability, the one where we use to become as great as we possibly can, we call, a we call that a benefits-based accountability, and they can never be turned off. Uh, and one of the arguments that we've made for years is that Education has not been subject to a benefits-based accountability, but something much more akin to what we do to industrial polluters. And the biggest or best way we might know that that's the case uh, is if it ever got turned off, because those accountabilities that we use to uh, check for compliance and that we use to uh, put some, some very basic protections in place for society, they can be turned off or relaxed in times of crisis and often are. Uh, Benefits-based accountabilities can never be turned off. They turn on the instant that the organization comes into being and uh, turn off uh, only when that organization is no more. So I think part of what it did for us was was really make the argument that we were trying to do school accountability in a completely uh, erroneous fashion with the wrong tool for the job. Uh, the metaphor we like to use, it's kind of gross, but it's trying to pound a nail with a fish. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to help you be great. So I think what we got out of this was a very clear message that uh, we need a different form of accountability uh, if schools really are going to be as great as they possibly can. And, and since they're our most important social institution or one of our most important social institutions, it makes sense that we hand them an accountability system that's designed to help them all be great. You know, the, um, maybe we can just go a little bit into, into detail and explore the word accountability. Because I think the dilemma is that the, the word has created this narrative that unfortunately almost has a political context. And especially when we tie it to schools, I heard you say right away that at one point in time I was focused on testing. I then became really engaged and intrigued with accountability. Right? Well, automatically there would be some that would say, well, those are the same things. In fact, you can't have accountability without testing. And I'm not saying testing is good nor bad. I'm just saying that is how we think of accountability, especially as it relates to school systems. So your work being focused on accountability systems, then how do you help others understand and define what healthy accountability is? Because I don't, I, I haven't heard or read anything that you've put out there that you're um, that you're opposed to accountability. It's how we describe what healthy accountability is. 
Does that question make sense? Uh, it makes perfect sense. So there are a couple of things to, to think about. One of them is that uh, any accountability system has to tell the absolute truth about the organization because accountability is always going to be one of the more powerful forces in an organization and it will move decisions. And so the, a healthy accountability system is always to the truth. And the truth is that organizations are uh, always effective in some ways and uh, ineffective in others. And without a clear understanding of where they're effective and where they're ineffective, the organization cannot get better or uh, improve. Uh, so uh, one part of a healthy accountability is that it has to, has to absolutely tell uh, the truth about the organization. The, the, uh, another aspect of a healthy accountability system is that it cannot stigmatize. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the things we know about stigmatization and, and the, the research that's coming out of uh, Stanford and the Census Department and some other places over the last couple of years makes it crystal clear that when we stigmatize schools, we stigmatize neighborhoods, which stigmatizes people uh, in those neighborhoods, uh, which uh, in turn results in uh, uh, significantly higher incomes for students who live in non-stigmatized communities and significantly lower incomes in stigmatized communities. So the stigmatization piece is something that absolutely has to go. And what's remarkable about systems that tell the utmost truth about an organization is that they need not be stigmatizing even when they're very high stakes, which all accountabilities are, and even when they tell truths about an organization that we might rather not hear. Uh, and so a healthy accountability system is one that tells the truth, and it's one uh, that does not stigmatize while it does that. We don't have that in the current accountability system. Uh, the simplest example that I can give you is the way that we draw lines in the sand on graduation rates or test scores. And the problem with that is uh, that doesn't that, that, that obfuscates the truth about what's really going on. If you think about the kids who graduate from a high school, uh, there are two groups of kids, kids who would graduate regardless of the high school that they went to, and kids who are graduating because of the tremendous efforts put forth by the people in the high school. And you can think about two high schools, one where they graduate all the kids every year, but that would happen no matter where these kids went to school. Uh, and another where about half the kids who graduate, graduate uh, because of what the school does, but half graduate again because they would graduate anywhere. And the problem with drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, everybody ought to have 90 some odd percent graduation rate. And if you're above that, you're great and you succeed and, and you're a model and we should emulate you. And if you're below that, you fail and you're terrible, is that it doesn't tell the truth about either of those organizations. The, the truth is more complicated than that. The truth is that the school that graduates all of its kids year in and year out, and, and that would happen regardless of the school, that's not a very meaningful metric to them. Uh, to the school that may be at 85 or 90% graduation, uh, but is in a really challenging environment and graduating lots of kids who wouldn't otherwise graduate, the, the, the truth there is that they have work to do. But the truth is also that they're doing some things in a pretty effective way, and failure is a completely inappropriate uh, distinction uh, to, to, to force on them. And so in that very simple example, we have a, a one accountability system, which is what we currently do, that doesn't tell the truth about either organization and makes all schools less effective as a result. And another that says this is the honest truth about the organization. We can use this truth to get better. It, it's not sugarcoating anything. It's still a high stakes piece, uh, but it also doesn't create the stigmatization. So if you're talking to uh, the typical educator, Let's uh, let, let, let's actually assume you're talking to teachers. 
and you start talking about accountability systems. Um, like I was saying before, naturally their mind may automatically shift to, oh, testing, right? That, that's what we're talking about in, in terms of, and I'm being held accountable to the test scores of my students. A, a lot of um, what are sometimes rooted in kind of a political structure that we have created in this country and state by state um, comes to rest when it comes to a, a teacher's perspective. So how do you help them shift this paradigm? How do you kind of paint a picture, so to speak, so when you say accountability, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't send them into this kind of trauma of what you know, uh, accountability has meant for them for actually so many decades? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the, uh, the, the, I think the easiest way to create the, the proper understanding is is to start with the primary stakeholder for an organization. Uh, the, the primary stakeholder for any organization, and this is true whether you're a hospital, a nonprofit, a business, a school, it doesn't matter, is a member of the group without whom your organization loses its reason to exist. And so for a hospital, that's the patient. For uh, a business, that's the client or the customer. For a school, that's a student. And because students come to us at you know, a very young age and and we work with them until just before they become uh, legal adults, the parent has to be a part of that uh, as well, uh, or, uh, and is an, an, an important part of that. And what all organizations that do accountability really well do is they look at that primary stakeholder and uh, ask a simple question, which is what benefits does that primary stakeholder expect as a result of having a relationship with the organization? And that can kind of sound like a bit of an awkward question if you're talking about oh grocery stores or products we might buy on a regular basis but but there but every organization exists to provide a finite set of benefits to those stakeholders uh, uh, fire stations put out fires and hotels provide a place to sleep and schools help get kids ready uh, to be good citizens but uh, schools don't put out the fires in the neighborhood and they don't provide hotel rooms and so on. Every organization has that finite set of benefits. And teachers already know uh, a great deal about those benefits and they already work really hard uh, to try and provide them. And so what we do is, is teach them that when your accountability is to the primary stakeholder, that uh, suddenly it brings all of these other parts and pieces into focus. And testing can be one form of evidence for helping understand your effectiveness, but it starts to fade into the background as a piece of evidence that can be used alongside lots of other pieces of evidence to understand whether or not you're being effective at delivering on that uh, finite set of benefits that exist. You said something else that's really important, and that is this idea of accountability to a test score. Uh, we'd like to talk about when, when we see benefits-based accountabilities working in organizations, they flip the org chart is the way we like to say that. Uh, we're, the teachers are accountable to make sure that students get what they need. Principals are accountable to make sure teachers get what they need and so on. Even though management happens the other way, accountability goes uh, in a sense up. And that changes from being accountable to a state for higher rising test scores to being accountable to students and their parents for the benefits that they expect from an education. And those are just two profoundly different systems. So you're not, um, you're not arguing um, uh, against testing per se. Um, what I hear you saying in, um, is that 
It's about how we put it into context with a variety of other factors specific to a more comprehensive accountability system. Is that close? And how would you, you know, how, how, would, you, how would you give us some more details about that? Sure. So um, what we call, have come to call standardized tests are designed to be predictive. They're designed to uh, enable comparisons either as of a moment in time or over time. And uh, they are very carefully, very uh, painstakingly designed to be used in a very specific way to identify patterns and then to see if we're having uh, positive disruptions on the patterns that we find to be negative over time. Uh, but they were never designed to be used as a judgment tool. Uh, they were never designed to be uh, used as uh, a way to draw a line in the sand and say everybody above this goes to a good school and everybody below this goes to uh, a bad school. So yeah, we, 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 we argue quite loudly that uh, standardized test data and other kinds of test data are available to be used as evidence provided they are used alongside other forms of evidence to help us understand uh, where we're being effective and where we're not yet as effective as we need to be. But uh, we believe uh, absolutely and very strongly that the same tests that have a legitimate research basis uh, will corrupt in that research basis and in the thing, uh, both in the measure and the thing being observed, if you try to tie high stakes to them. That's a phenomenon known as Campbell's Law. I, I, I would have loved to have make that, made that up. I didn't. You can Google it and get millions of hits. But, but essentially, it's, it's, it's the problem that comes when trying to use a research instrument to make a high stakes social decision without the human interpreter who can uh, understand the full context and make uh, uh, the right interpretation, not just a crude one that comes as a result of, of a cut uh, score or uh, a line somehow uh, uh, arbitrarily drawn in the sand. Years ago, um, here in the state where I, I'm currently sitting, Georgia, um, it was over, the, over one summer. Um, at one point, the governor decided to take uh, this series of scores that would be summarized in an overall number and then uh, align that to a particular grade, right? So schools became an A school, a B school, all the way to a fa an F score or failing school. Um, so overnight, these scores that um, you know had some data behind them, um, then were the boiled down into whether a school was a failing school. And overnight, we had 28 failing schools. Um, and then there was the Communities' reactions around that, right? Students and parents struggling with going to an F school. That um, all it meant was it was a, a rule that was changed overnight, and all of a sudden they're failing, right? Um, and everything I knew about many of the schools, even some of the ones that were struggling, is they were not necessarily failing. Some some incredible work was happening in those places. However, um, we had created this accountability measure that tried to uh, target schools in uh, a way that actually did incredible damage to uh, our perceptions as well as our, our, our beliefs in kids. Uh, and it, it, it can happen overnight. Uh, and often it's political in nature. Okay. So the A through F grading that you're talking about that we do to schools is a, a perfect example of that stigmatization process that I was talking about. And it doesn't work. Uh, if, if stigmatization is a strategy for making all organizations into 
high-powered, uh, well-performing organizations. And if that actually worked as a strategy, we would see it deployed all over the place. And and the only uh, the only profession the, that regularly and systematically stigmatizes its uh, a significant number of its in- institutions is education. And we really need to think about that and why we we go about the process of doing that. And the the uh, the implications of that are are really quite severe because. What we know, uh, as I said earlier, is that when we stigmatize uh, schools, we stigmatize neighborhoods and people and uh, affect incomes, and, and it's, it has a very serious economic impact. You can just imagine if you are the leader of uh, a large company and need to build a new facility, and you have to choose between one community that has F schools and another community uh, that tells you that uh, their schools are really effective in some ways and not yet as effective as they need to be in others, and here's what they're doing to fix it. And ask yourself, which of those two communities are you going to build a facility in? It's clearly not the one that has the F schools. And yet, those are the same community. Those are the same schools. And the difference is that in one of those instances, we chose to stigmatize. And in the other one, we uh, didn't. Uh, Stigmatization is a very powerful, very negative force. And again, it's why we are so opposed to the school grading systems. Because A, they don't work. B, they stigmatize and they don't solve a single uh, problem in the process. Um, some would argue, um, I'm not one of them, someone would argue that if we go back to when uh, we first started to kind of uncover uh, some educational equities when a nation of risk was written, then you know later when we shifted to No Child Left Behind and the impact that has is that that was done in fact to support this issue of equity because we actually need data to know where our kids are successful and where they are, quote, you know, failing or struggling. Um, in, the, in the meantime, what we also know is that, you know, this kind of the testing system that was uh, created perpetuated this, some of these ongoing biases that you're describing, right? And it creates this stigmatization issue. So and did some damage. Will you maybe unpack some of these biases that you see and maybe some of your recommendations for measuring, you know, school effectiveness beyond what we've used in the past or are currently using actually? Yeah, sure. So confirmation bias is is, is an unbelievably powerful um, piece in all of this. I mean, if, if, if uh, someone drives by a, a campus that's in a well-manicured neighborhood and beautiful homes and uh, the assumption is that it's a good school, and the odds are it will have relatively high test scores given who lives in that neighborhood and the fact that they've come from some amount of privilege or they've had an education and so on. You drive by an inner city school that has barbed wire around the outside and is pretty dilapidated and and so on, and uh, the assumption is just the opposite, that that's a bad school. Well, those are both confirmation biases because they 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 may be a bias, but there is absolutely... Uh, no evidence or data for either of those judgments made at that particular moment. And so what that uh, does when we have a test score and you somehow say, well, we're going to use this test score to judge quality and effectiveness or pretend that it can judge quality and effectiveness, is it's very easy to see the test score as confirming the bias. And that's just false. If you take a test score uh, and you look at the causes behind it, uh, that will help you to uh, quickly realize that you can't really assign a judgment based on a test score because you don't have enough information to do that. Uh, r- again, really simple example, a test score uh, has two primary causes to it. Wherever a student happens to be along a scale, one is what happens in school and one is what happens outside school. 
And the influence of what happens outside school is quite significant. And so if I try to use any test score to make a judgment, I'm at risk of judging things that the one or the other of those doesn't control. But I'm also at risk of judging where I shouldn't be judging at all. If a teacher is is uh, worked well with a student and has helped the child stay in school when they would otherwise have dropped out, a relatively low test score may be an indicator of really fine things or uh, in, that the school did. Or a really high test score may be an indicator that uh, there are two parents who are doctors and care deeply about education, but the school is not uh, adding any value whatsoever to their lives. Until we go do the research behind any test score or any metric, uh, we're at risk of making these, these deeply erroneous uh, judgments. You asked about what should we be using to measure effectiveness. Uh, here's what's interesting about that. Again, you go back to this idea that all organizations and schools are organizations exist to provide a finite list of benefits to their stakeholders. Uh, what schools can easily do is collect evidence and observations about which of those benefits they are effectively delivering on and which of those they have work to do. That doesn't just require one data point. That requires lots of evidence. That requires a rich, deep understanding. That requires uh, professional interpretations by educators. But it is entirely reasonable to think that on uh, each area where our stakeholders expect to benefit, every campus in America is quite capable of saying, uh, we are effective at doing that. Uh, uh, we are not effective at doing that. And on both of those judgments, using evidence to support those judgments in ways that can be easily believable to uh, all sorts of audiences, including policymakers, parents, students, uh, business leaders, uh, you name it. So I, I hear you saying that maybe the, the rating that, that people are um, looking at when they shop for homes on Zillow may not be entirely accurate. It's entirely inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> and and what, again, what's interesting, I, I'm just a side note, real estate agents are, are, are wonderful consumers of benefits-based information because they need to sell homes in every neighborhood. They need to be able to say, here's where uh, the schools are effective and here's where they're not yet as effective as they need to be. Okay, so the, um, you know, based upon the challenges of today, you know, uh, I, I, and I know you hear the same about what we just are hearing described as learning loss, right? And so... Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of this term, but I, I won't get into that. This isn't about my perspective. I, but based upon, you know, potentially the concern over students uh, due to the last couple of years, many being at home for long periods of time, etc. Um, how would you describe the shift to what you, you call a, a truthful accountability system? And maybe you can kind of just describe that uh, to a little bit more detail and maybe what's happening in some schools currently. Um, almost paint a picture of what's possible um, as it relates to a truthful accountability system. So, yeah, this learning loss piece is, is, a, is a really interesting um, uh, concept because it, it's based on this idea that, that schools exist to go lockstep through a whole sequence of, series of, of events uh, and come out the other end having accomplished some number of tasks by the time a child graduates, and anything short of that is considered a loss. And th I don't think that that's an accurate view of, of uh, uh, how the educational process works, nor how parents and students expect the benefits that we're here to provide um, 
Uh, I don't think that's an accurate representation of, of when we try to talk about those benefits. I guess what I mean is that um, uh, to, to call this learning loss, it really is, it's, it's a loss on the part of the adults for how we're accustomed to doing things. Uh, it is not necessarily, or it doesn't need to be a loss for the students if we can learn to uh, think about the benefits that we exist to provide, realize that we have had unprecedented challenges, and then figure out what those benefits still need to be and what we need to do in order to get them into the students' hands. There's no way that we're going to get the same level or number of benefits uh, into uh, students' hands given the loss we've had over the last year and a half, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to result in uh, lowered incomes for these kids, uh, lowered uh, economic opportunities, lower opportunities to go to college or get jobs and so on. It simply means that if we were in a benefits-based world, we would at least have some tools for handling this. But in the current world we have, this current world is equipped to run in lockstep for 12 years. And uh, we interrupted that. And I think that idea of learning loss really is in large part a loss of us as the adults having a clear sense of what we're supposed to be doing. So, so thinking about your book, An Accountability Mindset, as well as your work with um, schools and districts, um, what, would, what difference would a person know um, if they were to walk into a school or spend time in a school, if in fact they were engaged in a truthful accountability system? What would be um, some of the systems or what would be some of the things that would really be obvious that make that school or that district different than others? I think the biggest difference would be that all of the conversations around accountability would be in non-technical language, in language that made sense to the students, in language that makes sense to the parents, the communities, the policymakers, and so on. Education is notorious for taking all kinds of technical data and flinging it at the world uh, in the name of transparency as if somehow uh, uh, the world is going to be able to interpret that and translate that in a way that would uh, be meaningful. And that's about as meaningful as the radiologist throwing a, a set of x-rays at a patient and saying, you figure it out. It, it's really disrespectful. It's not fair to the stakeholder. They, they haven't had our training. They had, don't have our expertise. And, and, and when, we, when we simply give them technical explanations uh, for things, that, that's deeply problematic. And so the biggest difference that you'll see is that benefit language is everywhere. When we talk about uh, engaging kids in real work, the, that means the same to a parent, a child, a, a community member, and a teacher. And so I think one of the biggest things you see is how we talk about education, and it creates a partnership between the schools and those that they're supposed to be serving. So one thing um, I ask all, all of our, all of our, our, our guests in, in our leader chat, um, I ask them to imagine that we are around a table with educational leaders. Because m most of our system in the leadership circle is actually not talking at our members. It's connecting our leaders to each other. It's a very kind of collaborative community and systems that support that. So if you and I were to uh, pretend that we're around a round table with other educational leaders, um, what would you want to leave them with? What would be your kind of pragmatic brass tacks advice of what they should be thinking about and focusing on right now? So uh, what I would say is that the most effective organizations anywhere in the world that we've been able to observe all run a benefits-based accountability system. And they run a benefits-based accountability system uh, sometimes formally, sometimes informally, but it is always there 
operating to help the organization to steer them in the right direction to make sure that uh, they're 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 getting to where they need to be. Uh, those systems need not be uh, uh, embedded in policy. Those systems need not be things that they actually share broadly. But if they have those systems functioning in their organization, they have one of the most important tools for making sure that their organization is getting to where they need it uh, to be. And so my most practical advice is to realize that without that system, uh, they're missing one of the key ingredients to uh, really uh, putting themselves on the road to continuous improvement. Okay, so that was perfect. Unfortunately, uh, that was supposed to be the last question, but I got another one now. Um, so and this will be the last one. And so uh, number one, I appreciate your time, but I, I, I'm really curious. If you were to, if you were to uh, imagine if you were to, um, you know, almost close your eyes and, and paint a picture um, of what may be possible due to what we're struggling through right now, what, what, do, you, what do you hope for? You know, over the next, let's say, five years in education, I mean, there's a lot I worry about, but I balance that out, that out with what I hope for. What do you hope for? What do you think is maybe possible for us to grasp as it relates to issues of accountability and supporting our schools and maybe maybe debunking some of these biases that we sometimes carry with us? Well, I I think my hope is is along a historical timeline. I can tell you that uh, 10 or 15 years ago when I started saying some of these things, the, the audience wasn't huge. And every year, that audience has doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled. And when we started, we're actually working with schools and districts to help them build these kinds of systems and working with leaders. Again, a very small group of people in that uh, uh, pool has continued to grow. Uh, the number of states uh, five or six years ago was, you know, one. Number of states now is in double digits. And uh, it, these kinds of opportunities, I think, are uh, going to allow us to finally fix this problem of educational accountability so that we can finally have the truth about what's going on in our schools so that we can finally put all of our public school, uh, public schooling system into a continuous improvement mode. That, to me, is, is where I get very, very hopeful, because if we can do that, we will have solved one of the biggest problems we have in education, uh, helped the most number of students, and in particular, helped the most uh, number of students who really, really need us to step up to the plate for them, because without us, uh, their lives are going to be uh, less than what they should be and, and could be. So, so one thing you already, you already know is your, your message resonates with educators. I, I know that for a fact because I am one. Um, your, your message also resonates with uh, community and parents and so forth. The dilemma that we face is system and some of the structures that we have put in place that even though we know they are not what's best, we just continue to do them over and over and when we are in a place of struggle, then what we try to do is catch up to where we once were, which we weren't satisfied with in the first place. So I, I'm probably just making you uh, smile and shake your head because you know these things. It just uh, has to be a constant point of uh, frustration, but also hope that someday we can continue to try to turn this corner over time because um, I don't think if you asked the, the, the typical parent without them looking at Zillow and said, tell me what's a good school. They would not start with test scores. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't say test scores are important to me as a parent because I want to know where my child is relating to how they're doing according to standards. Of course, a parent would want to know that. 
But that's not how they would define, oh, this is a good school or a bad school. And yet we fall into this trap of sometimes grading schools and actually believing that those grades are accurate. Um, all I know is I'm just piling on here, John, so I apologize. No, no, you, you said something really important there. You, you, you talked about um, the consequences of being in what we call a compliance-based system. See, the, the, the problem with compliance uh, is that compliance causes us to repeat the past because compliance has, non-compliance has risks. And so uh, with compliance, we very frequently look to the last moment when we were compliant and try to repeat that moment going forward. And that's fine if you're talking about, say, FERPA in schools, if you're talking about uh, a clean water standard or a clean air standard or minimal standards for, uh, 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 that can be emitted in the atmosphere, those types of things. Uh, but you will drive any organization to its knees if you insist that their mission-based functions also operate uh, based on compliance, because now you're at risk of repeating the past over and over and over again, and that's the perfect recipe for an organization to become irrelevant or obsolete. It's why we struggle to innovate in schools, is because any time anybody brings up any opportunity to do things differently, the, 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 that introduces a risk of being out of compliance. And so you described perfectly, again, one of the great dangers of staying within the current accountability environment. It's going to cause us to continue to want to repeat the past or, or prevent innovation and make it much more difficult to become the schools that our kids need in the future. Uh, that's why benefits-based accountabilities are so critical. They take organizations and point them towards the future, towards what's possible and towards what needs to happen. Well, John, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that we had this conversation today, and I'm thankful that you were willing to spend time with me, with um, our members and our leaders that are in the leadership circle and beyond, and uh, we will do our best to make sure that your message is, is heard loud and clear. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, great. Have, have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I want to continue to go on. Uh, this, is, this is really hard for me to stop this discussion, but of course, um, we're making this content for you, not to satisfy me, so, um, but in the meantime, I, I, I know you've appreciated it like I have, because John's message, um, it does resonate, and we know it's true. We know it's accurate. Um, our, our focus needs to be how do we make sure we, we put the right things in place from a structural um, standpoint in our schools, so we're actually describing the beauty and challenges of our schools accurately. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your noble work. Be well.